everybody, and welcome to the second episode of our Enterprise Agility podcast. Uh, my name is Andy Jordan, and uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to do for this episode. This is our first guest, our first official sort of non-introductory episode of the podcast. And I thought, yeah, who could I bring on board as the first guest? And there really was only one choice. So I'm absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Mark Price Perry. Uh, Mark's got a a long and storied career with IBM and a number of other organizations, and and he can tell you a little bit about that when I introduce him. But the reason that I wanted him on this call is that starting in 2009, he wrote the first of a series of three books on business-driven PMOs. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the precursor to enterprise agility. That's when people really started talking about the role that a PMO, a project management office, plays in enabling business success. And that led to those old conversations that projects weren't about being on time, on scope, and on budget, and that they were actually about achieving business outcomes. If it weren't for Mark, those conversations wouldn't have happened, and we wouldn't be sitting here now talking about enterprise agility. So, Mark, I am absolutely delighted that you have joined us today. Um, I, I'll let you introduce yourself and, and then go straight into uh, to my first question for you, which is, as somebody who's been there, done that, and, and seen, the, uh, seen the challenges that, uh, that organizations face here, what would your advice be to leaders who want to create an enterprise agility environment for their businesses today? Well, Andy, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here today. And enterprise agility is something that I've been promoting for for nearly 20 years uh, under the business-driven PMO uh, brand, uh, if you will. And to me, the foundational building blocks uh, or pillars, if you will, of enterprise agility really speak to three core areas, uh, an outcomes-focused Second, a planning approach that's as adaptive as it can be. And then third, a relentless pursuit of faster delivery through scaling techniques. And just as an example, if I can quickly give an example of that first one, outcomes focused. About 20 years ago, I went to my first PMI chapter meeting in which I stood up and was speaking to the need to be more outcomes focused as opposed to outputs focused. And this resulted in me showing a slide that talked about the purpose of project management in which I'm telling an audience of certified PMPs uh, at a professional development day that contrary to what they've been taught and believe, the purpose of project management is not the delivery of scope on time and on budget, but rather the purpose of project management is the best possible outcomes, the best possible application of project management techniques to achieve outcomes based upon the business context and stakeholder biases. Now, this was 20 years ago, and it was almost as if people were virtually throwing food at me, saying, how dare you? The purpose of project management is to be on time and on budget. Uh, and I'm And I'm preaching this mindset that says it, it's really not you can have a particular time to market project where the stakeholder doesn't want it on time. He wants it as early as possible. Uh, and, and full scope may not be as important as partial scope quicker. And on the other side of the coin, you might have a project subject to penalties in which on time, but failing to comply with all mandatory items for which there is a penalty or loss of license is not acceptable. So just as the outset, 
talking about enterprise agility, that first pillar or foundational building block is this relentless focus on on outcomes in the business context, as opposed to just following the process by rote, producing output reports, and thinking we're done. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And, and I think organizations are starting to get there, but it is shocking how many, uh, how many companies are still thinking, you know, well, we had some great projects last year. We were on time, on scope, and on budget for all of them. But for some reason, we're just not generating the business returns. I don't get it. I don't know what more we can do. It, it's scary. Your second pillar, you said about you know, adaptive planning, and, and I think that's something that we can all relate to and, and, and understand. But the third pillar that you mentioned, the idea of being able to deliver as fast as possible and being able to accelerate, I think that's something that still scares a lot of leaders. It's something that, that speaks to having to give up control, having to create autonomy among teams so that they can actually drive the decision-making process and ask for forgiveness instead of permission to speed things up. Do you think that's an area where we still have a lot of work to do or is that something that leaders are really sort of embracing now? Well, I wish you would, I could say leaders have embraced it or want to embrace it, but, but we have a lot of work to do and you really hit upon um, a key issue as well as opportunity and that is control. There's a difference between control and intelligence, intelligent control. Um, and, and in order to scale for faster delivery, uh, and this ties into the adaptive planning, we need to have much more adaptive planning techniques introduced into our workflows. And we need the tools to be able to do that. And, and of course, here's a shout out to our sponsor, ServiceNow, because this is not a tool issue because ServiceNow and others, but in particular ServiceNow, has customizable intelligent workflows that allow us to incorporate the decision-making workflows needed to have intelligence control. So what do I mean by that? Well, if we get back to adaptive planning, would it surprise you if I told you that 100% of projects, let's say 99% of projects, actually have scope, time, and budget in their project charters? No. You're not I surprised by that, reasonable. are you? Yeah, that, that seems yeah, okay. more than reasonable. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and forgive me for loading the gun. <laughs> so assuming that we all have project charters, what percent of those project charters for some of the project data elements, let's say scope, time, and cost, show the business context and stakeholder bias for those measures. What I mean is, if a budget is a million dollars, what's the will to pay? Is the stakeholder willing to pay 1.5 to 4 million for it? Same thing per schedule. If the schedule is six months, is the stakeholder willing to wait nine months or 12 months for the product of the project? Same thing for scope. If the scope is X amount of scope, defi you know, defined by whatever packets, is all that scope required or is the stakeholder willing to accept partial scope uh, in lieu of other kinds of things? So planting the idea <laughs> that the business context and stakeholder bias for these measures is important, going back to those project charters, and it could be a stage report or an executive dashboard, but let's leave it at project charters. What percent of project charters on average do you think within PMOs reflect the business context for those measures like scope, time, and cost? Oh, I would say it's probably as close to 0% as you can get. I mean, most charges, you'll, <laughs> okay. well, you you'll didn't be lucky take the if you bait. get anything in there. Well, you didn't take the bait. You're actually quite <laughs> right. Research that we have done on this twice over 10 years has shown that it's less than 10%. There actually are some organizations that do collect stakeholder bias, and that's what's required for faster decision-making.
so that you know what you're making the decision on. A faster decision, for example, to add more cost to the project to deliver it either on time or earlier, or it could be something else to take cost out to meet the budget and then hold out scope or be willing to wait later. So this is what truly enables the leadership team to move away from the pretense of control to having intelligent control. And in order to do this, you have to introduce and support this notion of adaptive planning, this notion of information and workflows that support the context and the decisions that we want people to be considering. And now we're making decisions not based upon some, are we on time or on budget, but we're making decisions based upon the context and the biases for the projects at hand. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. That, that is totally critical to, to how organizations need to go forward. Leaders need to be able to understand what are the driving forces behind their projects so they can communicate that. And that creates that environment where the more tactical execution-based decisions can be made by the people in the field, the people at the front line doing the work, because you've still got what you call that intelligent control from leadership because they've established that context, that context They've set the purpose. Everybody understands why the work is being done. And then you don't have to make every single tactical decision yourself. In fact, you can't in an enterprise agility environment. You've just created that environment where the team can be empowered and autonomous successfully to deliver that leadership vision. And I think that's something that that too many leaders are not seeing. They don't have the vision for. They're, They're too focused on still making those decisions themselves because they haven't set that context for the business. And Mark, I think that that's truly profound, and that's something that. that well, and, and one of the things that one of the things that we're seeing, which is very exciting, is that much like the way Agile came onto the scene, what was it last year, year before last? Oh, twenty years ago. <laughs> well, it's coming of age. Yeah, the principles of complex adaptive systems, of which Agile is just one color of that umbrella. Uh, are coming to fruition. And for the last decade, behavioral economics uh, has really come to the forefront. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the gentleman who won the Nobel Prize for his work in nudge theory and behavioral economics. But this is coming to today's PMOs. And a good example of that is we have to move away from the mindset of the big design up front, plan-driven effort that we're going to codify things and then we're just going to follow the plan. And and nudges, the principles of nudging, uh, if I can give a brief example, um, let's take a school cafeteria. Banning french fries, that's not a nudge. That's a compelled action. But putting apple slices and bananas at eye level and then putting the french fries at some other place that's hard to see, that's a nudge. It encourages kids to eat healthy. Much in the same way, Many large companies and even smaller ones are establishing PMOs, nudge unit PMOs, to look at workflows and processes to say, where can we put in place nudges so we get the right type of thinking, actions, and decision making? And what better way than our project processes? A great nudge would be when you start a project and do a project charter, let's take scope, time, and cost, or or time and cost. Once you've established the uh, preliminary schedule of six months, and that's a data field, the very next data field ought to be tick here. And and that tick box will be the stakeholder bias is how much as a percent can we overrun that amount. Uh, Same thing for scope. If we establish the scope of six months, the next data field ought to be tick here. You know, is it one 
what's the multiplier of the initial uh, schedule that the stakeholder will accept? That way, at the very start of the project, we are capturing the business information of the context and stakeholder bias. So right from the very beginning and on through the project management and delivery of the product of the project, we have a constant view of the context and ability to talk to the stakeholder about things that are important to them. So if you have a particular project in which the budget cannot exceed, you know, let's say it's a project budget of a million dollars and it can't exceed more than a million dollars because there's just no more funding available, uh, then we know that we have to take other actions and other project management techniques so that we can deliver what the stakeholder wants within that. And this helps us deliver on a scalability, those components of the project, whether we're doing it in a disciplined agile way or a plan driven way, that we deliver as quickly as possible, those components of the project that deliver the most value. And, and the only way we can do that is to understand those components. And if we don't know the thresholds of acceptance, will to pay, will to wait or drop deads. And if we don't know the business context, we can't possibly deliver fast because it's knowing that enables us to move to the front that which we want to deliver faster and hold off to later, that which only gets in the way of faster delivery. Wonderful. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, I think the gentleman you were referring to is Richard Thaler, T-H-A-L-E-R, for those of you who want to look it up, uh, the 2017 Nobel Prize for Economics winner for Nudge Theory. Um, so there you go. Um, that was our second podcast. Where did you think you'd learn about enterprise agility and hear about Nudge Theory and the Nobel Prize all in the space? Well, Andy, that's why I like having you as a host, because you always can either correct me or point out details I overlook. <laughs>